Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle and welcome to Podcast Tuesday. Big day. The Chiefs win Monday Night Football thanks in part to Trevor Simeon and the Broncos offense giving it to them. Plus, the hood goes all in with TB12. The Patriots ship Jimmy Garoppolo to the Niners for a second round pick. And because it's Halloween, Alvy's famous updated spooky mix. See how many celebs that you can pull from it. And three very good guests. We had Saints linebacker Craig Robertson, MLB analyst Dan Plesak, and Arizona Wildcats head football coach Rich Rodriguez. Alvin, happy Halloween. Let's start with Monday Night Football. After the country stayed up way too late watching Game 5 on Sunday night, Kansas City did everybody a favor, and they put last night's game against Denver to bed early on. A Marcus Peters fumble return for a TD. An absurdly easy Alex Smith to Travis Kelsey TD had them up 14-0 inside of eight minutes. It would have been a lot worse just a few plays later when they were back in the red zone once again, but they got cute and they got creative and they let Tyreek Hill take a shot at the end zone. Hill in the backfield, the pitch out on second nine. He runs laterally, he cocks his arm, he's going to throw a pass and it's picked off in the end zone. Tyreek Hill has just thrown an interception in the end zone. And Darian Stewart just picked it off for the Broncos. An interception, it'll be credited to Tyreek Hill. Well, that's why we t- <laughs> that's, that's why, why you, he doesn't that's, play quarterback. Yeah, that's why Alex Smith takes care of the football down here and you have him throw it. <laughs> that was funny. That was really funny because that was simply put one of the worst interceptions in NFL history. And I love people seeing it and asking, is this guy even left-handed? It was that bad and that hilarious. Obviously, the Chiefs coaching staff never got around to telling him, if the receiver is not open, throw it out of the stadium. But I'm glad that they didn't because that really was hilarious. And it was that bad. But the truth is, Tyreek Hill still was not even the worst quarterback on the field last night. That distinction belonged to Trevor Simeon. And unlike Hill, Simeon is actually a quarterback, or he's supposed to be, but he might not be very much longer after going 19 for 36 for 198 yards, one touchdown, and three picks. Those are really, really bad numbers. Those are Chad Henney numbers. Simeon under center from his 25, gets the snap, drops back, pump fakes, throws a line drive, intercepted. Peters on the sideline, a two-handed grab at the 50, drops back, rolls out of the pocket, he's outside the hash marks, he's on the numbers, and he throws a pass down the near sideline, and it was picked off on a backpedaling, falling down run, Parker pick on the sideline. Simeon in the shotgun, drops back, being chased far side on the numbers, he throws the opposite way, the pass is picked off, it's picked off by Acker, third interception, Fifth turnover deep in Denver territory. I mean, my man was bad, and Noah's receivers did not help him. On more than one occasion, he hit guys with catchable passes only for them to drop them. And the receivers can't do that. If Trevor Simeon manages to somehow miraculously hit you in the hands or the chest with a pass, you better catch it. Because the way he's chucking it, you have no idea when you're going to get another shot. And there is no explanation for why he keeps getting a shot. How many games do they have to lose? How many three and outs? How many turnovers do they need before head coach Vance Joseph says enough? Because the problems of this team can be traced back to just one place. Ask Simeon himself. You know, this week we've 
defense played well enough to win. Offensive line play, played well enough to win, and um, just the mistakes, right? You hate you hate beating yourself. So um, that I, for me, that's that's the most frustrating part. A couple of bad decisions. So um, tough to win. Tough to beat good teams when you turn it over. Those are a turnover machine. That is true. Which is why they've lost three straight and four of five. They had four turnovers in the first 32 minutes, and they had five on the night. I don't care how good your defense is. If you can't hold on to the ball, you're not going to win. And it's not like when they do hold on to the ball, they're productive either. They're averaging only 12 points per game in the last five games. So the question is this. Who's angrier? Head coach Vance Joseph or the Broncos defense? Because both have every right to be furious. You know, our defense played um, winning football, in my opinion. Our offensive line uh, blocked. You know, we, we ran the ball for 177, and the pass pro was better. But it all falls back to turning the ball over five times. That's, that's insane. You know, you, you can't win turning the ball over five times. You know, and guys work too hard, along with coaches and players, to uh, have a big game and give it away five times. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Right, V? It's Vance Joseph. It is mind-boggling. What a great description. I'll tell you what else is mind-boggling. That Simeon keeps going back out there. One disastrous series after another. I know Paxton Lynch is banged up. But the best part of this, what does this say about Brock Osweiler? Remember, he is there. What's it say about Brock Osweiler that Joseph would not give him a shot? Not exactly a ringing endorsement of the Brock Lobster, is it? That he'd rather, the coach would rather take his chances with a turnover machine than go with the Brock Lobster. But that can't keep up much longer. Just ask defensive back Chris Harris. He said, quote, There's high tension. We're not winning. We're not taking care of the football. We're giving the games away. We had some crucial chances to make a stop to give us a chance. We got back on the turnovers, which was a positive. Other than that, it was an ugly game. Let me tell you something. When you've got an all-pro on defense saying we're giving the games away, that's not a good sign. Not a good sign at all. And I'm guessing Harris is not the only guy on defense who's frustrated or pissed or both. I'm not going to say the locker room is busting apart, but I wouldn't blame it if it did because one side is doing its job and the other side is not. That's a Super Bowl caliber defense and they're playing with a preseason level quarterback. And now they're three and four with a trip to Philly and a visit from New England coming up next. The season's on the brink and right now the answer is more Trevor Simeon, which is that no answer at all. They're in a bad, bad way. They're barely hanging on. Bronco fan, that's my take. Now you give me yours. Saints linebacker Craig Robertson is my guest. So you're coming off a win over Chicago. That was your fifth straight win. When you're on a roll like that and you're playing as well as you are right now, you're on top of your division, what's the vibe like in your locker room and around the facility? Uh, the vibe is awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's always good to reap the benefits of all the work the guys have put in since training camp. Uh, but the whole, the whole thing is, you know, just trying to get better and better every week and not being complacent with the, the wins and success that you've had uh, to, to this part. Yeah, it would seem, Craig, the offense may have had an issue or two in the fourth quarter, but the defense was able to pick it up and cover for them. In fact, Sean Payton said afterwards, quote, man, it was significant. They were up for the challenge. You turn the ball over like we did, and you don't deserve to win games like that, end quote. 
So how did it feel to have the defense step up the way it did and to win the game the way you did? I mean, it's awesome. I mean, to win in this league any week is, is awesome. Um, any team can win any given Sunday. But, you know, just to, to win the fashion that we did, you know, we just played, as you want to put it, comp- complimentary football because we're going to have times where we don't play our best and our offense picks us up. So, you know, we're just doing things that we've been doing since training camp. I mean, we're a team, so we all win together and lose together. So I'm just happy we put more wins and losses. Craig Robertson, my guest, you know, your journey and your story, I think is awesome. As I mentioned off the top, you were undrafted out of North Texas. You had three straight seasons of 90 tackles or more at North Texas. But when your time was up there, you didn't receive many phone calls from NFL teams to try out. But there was a story that you did receive a call from Jacksonville, only that they were calling to make sure they had the right number. Is that story true? And if so, what was that like? Yeah, no, it's definitely true. Uh, You know, when you're coming out of North Texas, uh, when I was coming out, it wasn't many guys going to the NFL. So I, I already had my plan that I was going to go to grad school if, if football didn't work out. So I got accepted to grad school, and the draft came around. It was lockout year, so everything was kind of backwards anyway. And so the draft came, and, uh, you know, my, my phone rang as soon as the seventh round was over, and I was like, okay, well, this might be something. You know, and uh, it was it was Jacksonville, and it was, hey, we're just making sure this is your number. And, you know, I was, like, excited, but then, like, not excited. You know, right after, I was like, well, they just, you know, called to see if it was me. But, I mean, it's, it's all good. You know, God works out things and, and for his favor, and everything worked out on his own. Dude, I was hoping that story was not true. That's tough, and things haven't worked yeah. out, but in that moment – In that moment, that is really challenging. So at that time, though, you had your plan, as you mentioned, and part of that plan included working as a health and wellness coach in Texas, and then you started to play Australian Rules football. How did you get involved in that, and what did you like about Aussie Rules football? Uh, So it was, I think, right after Greg Paulus had left Duke and he had went over there to go play, it was two Americans, uh, that football players that, that went, and so it was kind of a craze. And so I was in that next batch. It was me, uh, my teammate from North Texas, Draylon Ross, and Emmanuel Moody. We were in that next batch that were going to head over there. And so we all lived in the Dallas area, so we played for a team called the Dallas Magpies. And so we 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 learned the game of Aussie rules. Obviously, we were way more athletic than a lot of the guys we were playing with. And our team ended up winning the – we were Division Two at the time, but the Division Two National Championship, and there was a couple uh, scouts there, and they were, hey, uh, we think you can go to Australia and be successful. And so that's another part of the story before I got to Cleveland was, you know, kind of crazy. I was supposed to head over there to Australia uh, right before I, I signed to the practice squad in Cleveland. And so I had to make a decision, like, whether I wanted to – uh, pursue Australian rules or pursue my dream of playing in the NFL. And so I, I stuck to my guns, and uh, here I am. Craig Robertson joining us. And now what if you didn't get that phone call from the Browns? If you did not get a call from the Browns, do you think that you'd be playing Australian rules football right now? Uh, yeah, most likely. I mean, the, the game of Australian rules football, it was it was fun. It was different. And for a guy that's, you know, I've I played all sports my whole life. And for me – you know, I, I wasn't playing football at the time. You know, I was I was learning this game, and it was intriguing to me because it was new, and it was a game that I didn't know, and I was learning on the go as I was playing. 
And I mean, every everybody who was was for it. My my girlfriend at that time, which is now my wife, she was behind me there, you know, watching me playing in a lawn chair, uh, playing a game that she knew nothing about. But she was right there on, by my side, just trying to learn. Don't know when to cheer or what, but you know, it was it was definitely fun. But it's it's a game that's that's cool in its own way but, you know, still dangerous in its own way, just like football. We're talking to Greg Robertson. He's a linebacker with the Saints. You know, when you lay it out like that, and you think about this, you battled your way off of the practice squad to become a starter, and then you signed with the Saints as a free agent. None of this has been easy at all, and you made the most of the opportunity. But as you look back on the way you've approached this and the way you've stayed on that grind, how much pride do you take in the way that you've handled this whole thing? Uh, I mean, I don't I really look at it as pride, man. I just, you know, I just... I, I try to enjoy every day like it's my last, and, you know, God puts everything in front of you for a reason, and I don't question anything. I just, you know, hey, I just enjoy it. I probably smile, probably I try and smile more than anybody in the building, any building I, I'm, I'm ever in, just because I'm just so happy to to be here and be a part of uh, this National Football League because it's a, it's a dream you have as a kid, and I, I try to never lose that that dream, that ambition of, you know, having that initial shock of, man, I'm here. And I try to always uh, humble myself and, and keep myself in that same realm and just realize that it's special to be here. And you got millions of people who would love to just sit in your in your seat in a meeting room and just never forget that. My guest is Craig Robertson. All of that said, and I, I believe that wholeheartedly, that you're living in the moment. You're extremely grateful and humble for the opportunity. But at the same time, you are motivated. You're ambitious. You're competitive. And when you signed with the Saints, one of the things that you said was you wanted to go someplace where there was a quarterback. What's it like then to be playing on the same team with Drew Brees, one of the best to ever do it? Man, I'm I'm playing on a team with the GOAT, you know what I'm saying? So just watching him prepare and practice and, you know, watching him do the same thing every day, you know, it – it makes you not become complacent, you know, with a long season of maybe, you know what, I might not call it up today, you know what I'm saying, because I don't feel like it. And then you see Drew hop right in, he's like, no, Drew do this every day. I need to do it. You know what I'm saying? So that's just watching a guy like that is, is just, it just makes it better for you as a, as, a, as a competitor to, you know, always remember like, hey, like just keep your same routine and do the same thing all the time. But, Knowing that you got a guy like that, you know, you always got a chance to win in this league. Yeah, speaking of winning in the league, and a final thought from you, you when you were at North Texas, that program was going through a transition, and then they lost a lot of games because of that. Then you go to Cleveland, where the wins are few and far between, but now you're in New Orleans, and not only are you winning, but you've got a shot at the postseason. So how good does it feel to be winning once again, and then how badly do you want to reach the playoffs? Um, it, feels, it feels real good to win, I'll be honest, because it's, it's, it's hard to win in this league. And even when I was in Cleveland, you know, we we had a lot of a lot of great players, but we just didn't have the wins that come along with it. But you know, now you know, just a string five in a row, man, it's an awesome feeling just to wake up on a Monday and a Tuesday, and you come in the building, and guys are you know working out and got smiles on their face and doing extra work, you know, what I'm saying just getting ready for the next week. And you know, when you get deeper in the season, that, that it gets harder and harder every week to do that. And you know, it's just when you're winning, everything's easier. You know, so it's just it's just a great feeling just to have that, just to win. But you know, we aren't done yet. You know, we gotta we gotta keep stringing all this stuff together. And it's just, I mean, we're all blessed just to be in the the opportunity we have to reach the postseason and all that. And that was another reason why I came to New Orleans.
it was just I want to play in a playoff game and having a guy like Drew and having some of the guys that that they had here already I I felt like this was the place for me to accomplish that that feat for my career. Let's talk about the Patriots for a minute. Come to find out Tom Brady is going to play football forever. At least that's the bet in New England. And as you think about all the great players that the hood man has sent packing, I mean, seriously, that's a list that could be a coat check in Canton. Understand this. Tom Brady is different. At least that's what he'll have you believe. And at least that's what the hood is banking on, that he is different. They're betting that he's the mold breaker. They're betting that he is the exception to the Patriots rule. Remember all that speculation over the summer? that despite ripping another ring where he was great again, that Belichick was considering turning the keys to the franchise over to Jimmy Garoppolo, that the hood would eventually do to Brady what he did to all the others, that the hood was that cold-blooded, that Brady was no different, no different than Vince Wilfork, Logan Mankins, Mike Vrabel, Wes Welker, Ty Law, Adam Vinatieri, Richard Seymour, Laura Malloy, Drew Bledsoe, etc., that... While the greatest Patriot, if not greatest NFL or ever, Brady still was not going to beat back Father Time because nobody does. And nobody ever will. Old man time, undefeated. That was the thought then, but the fact that they're sticking with Brady and going all in with Brady tells you that they think that he can stand in the middle of the ring and trade haymakers with Father Time. That FT has never gone toe-to-toe with a supermodel-marrying, strawberry-hating, avocado-ice-cream-eating, performance-pajama-wearing 40-year-old like Thomas Edward Patrick Brady. Because now, the hood is ride or die with TB12. He spun Jimmy G off for a second-round pick from Frisco, and he's going to roll with the goat instead of a mid-20s Something that they spent three and a half years developing who had been waiting in the wings. And then after having that great depth at quarterback, heading into Labor Day weekend, depth which included Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett, now you've got Brady as the only man in the quarterback room right now. He can triple park that $365,000 Aston Martin every single day, or at least until Brian Hoyer shows up. And probably even then, he'd still do it. So what I'm saying is this. That's a bold, bold decision by the hood. Going all in on a 40-year-old man. And pretty unpatriot-like, too. The hood does not bet on the old guy. The hood would rather cut you a little bit too soon than hold on a little bit too long. I mean, obviously, we've seen him do that over and over again. Huge gamble, big bet. Especially since Brady is getting hit and sacked more than at any time in his career. But... He is still playing at a very high level. He's not getting hurt. He says he won't. He says he doesn't, and he's not. And they're betting that that's only going to continue. So one thought about the Niners, too. It's a good deal for them. I like it. Kyle Shanahan always liked Garoppolo. He liked him coming out of college when he was with the Browns. He obviously still likes him right now. And while most figured that Shanahan was going to be reunited with Kirk Cousins, that was no lock. So they get the best available quarterback in the meantime. Now everybody else in that Frisco locker room has got a reason to believe they can be a little bit happier coming to work. And the Niners get Garoppolo into their system immediately, and they can start developing him accordingly. So I like that move for Frisco. As for the Pats, 
unlike a lot of other people, I'm not going to sit here and say it's a great move because they always get it right. I'm not going to sit here like a lot of other people and say it's a great move because the hood is never wrong. Can I tell you something? They don't always get it right, and the hood has been wrong. Only time will tell, but it's clear. He's all in. He's going to roll with the big dog. It's a brass play and a big freaking swing. So they better hope that Brady is right when he says that he can play into his 40s and that injuries are not a concern and that because he follows the TB12 plan with incredible discipline that he can't get hurt. That whole thing about Brady and his plan and his book and his philosophy, it's great. It works for him. But what about his teammates to follow the same plan and philosophy and they do get hurt? I'd explain that if that plan is foolproof. Because Brady will have you believe, listen, I'm not that special. I'm the guy with the dad bod. I'm the guy that was a sixth-round draft pick. I'm the guy that ran the 14-second 40 at the Combine. Just do all these things that I've done, and you can be me too. Not really. Not really. Because there are other freaky guys, better athletes than him, doing what he's doing, and they do get hurt. So this is a big bet now. He better be right, and they better be right, because this is a huge bet. I'm not saying that Garoppolo is a lock, but I'm saying it's a bet. One more thought also that I want to mention. Could they have done better? Should they have gotten more than a second rounder for Garoppolo? Hey, look, bottom line is they could have done better. They absolutely could have done better. If they moved him in the offseason, they would have done better because the market was so much better in the offseason. So, yes, they could have done better than they did, but that doesn't mean they should have because what they ended up doing was everything they possibly could to keep Garoppolo and Brady, and they owed it to themselves to try to make that work. A guy that they thought could be a star in the NFL, a guy who they thought might be the, ma- the heir apparent. Except the math didn't work. And in the end, they could not keep both of these guys. They'd have to pay him like a star just to keep him. They'd have to pay him like a star and butcher their salary cap in the process so he could sit there and hold a clipboard. And at the end of the day, what's this guy want? He wants the same thing that everybody else in his position wants. He wants playing time and he wants to get paid. He wants to get his. And they simply could not offer it to him. They couldn't offer him the playing time and probably not the money either. According to NBC Boston, Garoppolo, quote, couldn't get on the plane fast enough, end quote. What's that tell you? He couldn't get on the plane fast enough to go to a winless team instead of playing for arguably the best team in the AFC. Why? Because he wants to play and he wants to get paid. The Patriots did what they could to keep this guy, and when they finally realized right at the trade deadline that they couldn't get it done, they cut bait, and they got what they could for him, a second rounder. So depending on who you ask, this is a really shocking development, or it's like the most obvious thing ever. How are they going to keep this guy? How are they going to pay both those guys? The answer was they couldn't. But Belichick would say to you, yeah, but we tried. We did everything we could. I think unless you're in this room, you don't really know what goes on in this room. We did everything we possibly could to keep Jimmy and Tommy both. And at the end of the day, we just couldn't do it. So we had to make a deal, and there's your deal. Any questions? Good. Happy Halloween. I'm out. I mean, who who wouldn't want to keep Jimmy Garoppolo? 
Jim Garoppolo, we, we just spent three and a half years developing Jimmy Garoppolo. He knows the system. We've invested a lot of money in Jimmy Garoppolo. Of course, we want to keep him. But then you got Tom Brady, right? He's won, what, five rings, ten rings? He's like the best guy ever. I love, I love Tom. My owner loves Tom. We all love Tom. Tom's not going anywhere. Tom's 40. Have you read Tom's book? I read a lot of books. I read that book. Normally, I like to read books about history. But I read about Tom. He, he's a stud is what he is. And did you know this about Tom? He hates tomatoes. And he doesn't even eat strawberries. All right, how many guys can make that commitment? Can you make that commitment? Can I make that commitment? Probably not. So before you come in here and tell me that I got it wrong with Jimmy Garoppolo, just you, do you know who the hell I am? I'm Bill Belichick. I'm right. You're wrong. Happy Halloween. Peace. I'm out. I don't think I can do this for three hours. I can. I really can. I can do this for three years. I can do this for the rest of my life. Dan Plesak. Dan, nice to have you back. How are you? Rome, Jim, it's nice to be with you. I haven't talked to you in a while, but actually it's kind of weird. I'm sitting in the fifth deck of Chavez Ravine right now. It's, I'm watching the guys cut the grass. It's kind of the calm before the game six storm. It's amazing. This place will be bonkers in about seven hours. But it's kind of cool to sit out here and it's peace and quiet. I'm looking down at uh, this beautiful ballpark. But it'll be jumping in a few hours. My man, you set that up beautifully. I was thinking about that, Dan. I was thinking how long it's been since you and I spoke. I think it's been a few years. But you're at Chavez Ravine. In fact, let me ask you about that. I grew up in Los Angeles. You've got so many beautiful ballparks right now. But this is the oldest of the old school. That is a beautiful, beautiful stadium. Where would you rank Chavez Ravine amongst the best? It's in the top five. You know what? It's hard to believe. I think, Jim that this ballpark was built around the same time as Shea Stadium. And Shea's already defunct. This place has aged well. I knew this new ownership group has pumped a lot of money into this. But I'm, you know what's cool? Playing for 18 years, this is a side when you do this broadcast thing. Like, I've never sat in an empty stadium because you're usually taking the bus or taking a cab. You come in through the player's entrance, and you're not too concerned about what the stadium looks like. Jim, for the first time, when I was here for games one and two, I had no idea how enormous Dodger Stadium is. This place, not only is it awesome, it's big, it's clean. It's in the, it's, listen, I know it's old, but it's in the top five. This is as I don't know a player that ever came to L.A. that came to Dodger Stadium and didn't like coming here to play. It's still one of the best, if not the best, places to watch a baseball game. Dan Plesak joining us. He played 18 years in the major leagues, and that is a big ballpark. And as a pitcher, you can certainly appreciate that. So you were there for games one and two. You're here for game six tonight. Dan, before we talk about game six, what did you make of what you saw in game five? Jim, the most bizarre baseball game I've ever witnessed as far as postseason-wise. And I took a lot of heat after game one, and, and I don't know, I don't want to say deservedly so, because I, I just felt like this, Jim. I, I, was, I was concerned in game one, and I was concerned in game five, because I think the Clayton Kershaw that we're seeing right now isn't the same guy, Jim, that we saw from April till July. He spent a lot of time, missed a lot of time with his back, and, and I thought game one, he was superb, but it was a different Clayton Kershaw, Jim. It was a guy that was dropping down. He was throwing more cutters, more change-ups. It was, he, was, he, was, he was more of a pitcher than a power guy. And the guy that I'm used to seeing is a guy that's 95 to 97, big curveball, nasty slider. You score, them two, you score him two runs. I, I, I don't know. See, you get a chance to see him, Jim, a lot more than I do. But I, I, I wasn't knocking that he's not the best pitcher in the last 25 years. But I was knocking that I just didn't know if Clayton Kershaw, was he physically healthy enough to pitch? Yes. Was he physically healthy enough to be the best pitcher in baseball? I question that. And I got torched for five days. 
but I, I felt somewhat vindicated in Game 5 because the Clayton Kershaw, listen, that we've seen in the postseason, before Game 1 of the World Series, he had allowed six home runs in 17 innings. Four home runs in a game against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Jim, you've watched him as much as I have. And if you're, you'd have to be fooling yourself to say that the Clayton Kershaw that you're seeing right now is the same guy that we saw the first four months of the season. He's just not. And, and I, I felt bad for him in game five because they staked him to a four nothing lead. He coughed that up and then they hit the big three run homer and now it's seven to four and he couldn't get through that fifth inning. It, it's tough to watch, but Jim, it, it is what it is. I think he's healthy enough to pitch. But I don't think he's healthy enough to be the greatest pitcher in the game of baseball right now. And so I got torched for it for five days. But with that said, it was the most crazy, wild game. And, and I'll say this. The way this series has gone, to do it justice for baseball, this thing has to go seven games. Because both of these teams, this Dodger team, to come down, to come back from where they were, that game was over going into the ninth inning. And there's a couple things that I've learned. I had no idea. The more you watch Justin Turner play, this guy's a beast. He is – listen, it, it, when, in a, when a series where you've got Altuve and Springer and Correa, I think Justin Turner's the best hitter on either team. Jim, from a pitcher standpoint, I would want no part of this guy with a man on third less than two outs. He hits good pitching. He hits fastballs. He hits breaking balls. I think the two things that have struck me, how good Chris Taylor is and just how good Justin Turner is, Justin Turner's a legitimate star player. Dan Plesak joining us. You know, I was going to say to you, Dan, I, I agree with you about Justin Turner. I think the guy's absolutely incredible and a flat line, and nobody I'd want up there more in a clutch situation. And I was going to mention Chris Taylor, but you got there first. In terms of those two guys, you know the story about both of them, that they were unwanted. They made a couple of tweaks to their swings. All of a sudden, instead of beating the ball into the ground, they're getting it in the air. Is it really that simple? I mean, could these guys literally make a couple of adjustments in their swing, hit the ball in the air, and turn to the players that they are? Is it that simple? Jim, the thing is, it's it's a different game. I, I, you know what? We, we, we've been saying this every day when we're in the truck watching the games. I mean, the baseball that you and I are used to growing up, watching the Dodgers with Say and Garvey and Lopes get on base, put the ball in play. Think about this, Jim. Hit and runs, stealing bases, going first to third. That That's not a part of the game anymore. It's about launch angles. It's about getting the ball in the air. With that said, I will say this been super impressed with Cody Bellinger. He struggled the first couple of games, made some adjustments, stopped trying to, you know, hit every ball out of the ballpark. He's been their best hitter the last two games. But, Jim, it just is what it is. Think about this. In game, in, there, there was a game where the Dodgers scored six runs on only five hits. So I, I, if you're thinking about, hey, those 1980 St. Louis Cardinals get on base, steal some bases, create havoc, that's not the way the sport's going right now, Jim. It's about getting the ball in the air. It's being preached in the minor leagues. It's being preached in the big leagues. And, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's right or it's wrong. Are we going to go back to the way it was? I know this. There are a lot of guys hitting 220 with 30 home runs and 85 runs batted in. And across the board in baseball right now, in the baseball circles, that's looked at as, hey, the guys had a pretty good year. But then you get into these nip, nip and tuck games where put the ball in play. There's a man on third, less than two outs, a ground ball, a score run, and guys are popping up or striking out. So, it's kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, Jim. 
but the game has definitely changed. So, Dan, do you like it? Is it good? I mean, we're talking about a game where Clayton Kershaw and Dallas Keuchel start, and it's a 13-12 to game, and you can talk all about whether or not the baseball is juiced, if it's different than the regular season baseball, but we're seeing crazy, crazy offense. It's extremely entertaining, but as a purist, Dan, do you like it? Is it still baseball? Is it good or is it bad? I know it is what it is, but is it good or is it bad? I think, Jim, I think it is what it is. I, I think what, what I would have liked to have seen in game, in game five was – you know, a three to two game, a four to three game, a well pitched game. Listen, the bottom line is this: these are two really good teams. I, I think a lot of people underestimated how good the Astros were, and I think a lot of people thought before this series started that you know the Dodgers they had a magical year. I tell you what: th- these are the best two teams left standing right now, and I don't know what's right. I, I will say this: Did I ever think I would want to watch a thirteen to twelve game and be entertained? But Jim. It was highly entertained. The only negative is the game times are starting so late that in the Central, the East Coast, that game was over at one thirty in the morning. So how many people are able to watch the last two innings of that game, kids that have school? But I will say this, and I never thought I would say it, but, Jim, that was as fun a baseball game. Now, if you're a Dodger fan, it sucked. But if that was as fun and genuine and wholesome, it was back and forth, and it looked like the Dodgers were going to win it, and then the Astros had it locked up. There was something. This series has been magical, and it would only be fitting tonight that they beat Verlander and send us to a Game 7 because it's been such a good series up to this point. All right, so, Dan, before you go, what about that? Houston has Verlander going, and they've got a chance to win the World Series, but, and, and given the fact that they have not lost a game that he has started since arriving in that trade, he's got an ERA of under a half a run. If you're Los Angeles, how do you go about approaching Verlander tonight? I think what you have to do, Jim, he, if, he, if he brings his A game, he's a lot like Kershaw when he's on. It's going to be hard to get three or four hits in the inning to score two or three runs. I thought what Dave Roberts did in game two, a lot of people were surprised they put John Peterson in the lineup. I think this might be the kind of game where you want guys that might be able to get the ball in the air because I, if you go by what you think is going to happen, Verlander's been so good since he's put on an Astro uniform that they're going to have to hit one or two home runs. Now, with that said, the conditions, I'm standing in the fifth, I'm as high up in Dodger Stadium as you can get right now. It's kind of misty. It's a little damp and cool. I don't think the ball is going to be traveling all that well tonight, so I think it's going to be hard to get a ball out of this ballpark, not like games one and two where it was near 100 degrees. I would expect this. If I were a Dodger fan, I would expect Kershaw is going to bring – I would expect Verlander is going to bring his A game. Justin Turner is going to have to do something big, and I really like the way Cody Bellinger has made some adjustments. Listen, Verlander is beatable. Is he good? Yes. But, hey, you know what? A lot of people thought Rich Hill, they should have stuck with him longer in his game two appearance. So I would be shocked if this wasn't a one-run really close game going to the seventh inning. You'd have to think a little bit advantage Astros because of Verlander. But Rich Hill's a pretty good pitcher himself. All right, so leave us, leave us with that thought, Dan. Hill allowed three hits and a run in four innings in that game two start. So what kind of a performance are you expecting to see from Hill tonight? Well, I, you know what? You know, unfortunately, I think they're going to have to get a little bit more length, Jim, than they've been in the past. Like, they've kind of had a, tri- a quick pull, quick trigger with Rich Hill. But I think the Dodgers' bullpen is as beaten and battered and tired as the Astros' bullpen right now. So I think as, as few people, I would have to think that Brandon Morrow is going to have to have to have the day off today he just wasn't the same guy in game five so i think right now if you're dave roberts you're going to have to hope you can get five at minimum hopefully six innings and this might be one of those days that you're going to have to go two innings with canley jansen because that dodger bullpen it's just as tired battered and beaten as the astros bullpen
I keep trying to let you go, Dan, but you keep saying things that interest me. One last thought then. What about Morrill? If he's pitched in 12 out of 13 games and he says to the manager, hey, Skip, I feel great. I can do this. If you need me, give me the ball. What do you do if you're Dave Roberts? Do you take him at his word because he's been so successful, or do you look at it like you've gone 12 and 13 games in the postseason? There's no way you can be right. Well, I, I, Jim, I can tell you this because I've done what Brandon Morrill's done in the past. I, and I think when, when you're hot like he's been, and the rest of the bullpen's kind of counting on you, and you get out there during batting practice, you play catch, and your arm says, hey, you know what? I feel pretty good. Listen, I probably would have done the same thing. And it's easy hindsight afterwards to say, boy, they've gone to him more than they've ever gone to him before. He's never done that three days in a row. He's pitched in just about every postseason game. But, Jim, it's hard not to go to him if you get that phone call, if you're Dave Roberts, and he says, hey, Skip, I'm ready to go. I feel good. I can give you an inning. It would be hard to say no that, and I'm guilty because I did that in my career also. There have been several times where I pitched three or four days in a row, and they asked me before a game, hey, can you give me a lefty? I'd like to stay away from you today. And I'm like, hey, let me go out and play catch. I'll let you know how I feel. And you go out and you play catch. You feel pretty good. It gets to the sixth inning. You tell the bullpen coach, hey, call them down there. Let them know if they need me to get an inning or get a couple hitters, I can get them. So I admire what he did. It didn't work, but I think if he had to do it all over again, he would have done the same thing, Jim. He wanted to help. He's been so, he's been their best reliever, and, and what a terrific find he's been. It just didn't work out. He's a little bit overworked and overtaxed, so I think they'd like to stay away from him in game six and have him ready for game seven, but I just I think they have to give him the day off today. All right, so you got Halloween. Most of you know where I come out on Halloween. It's a kid's holiday. It's not a parent's holiday. It's not an adult's holiday. I've spent years railing against celebrating Halloween at work. And a number of you tools think that I'm some sort of huge buzzkill for it. Or I'm a cooler for killing your party. Because every single year you send Halloween emails and tweets and pics to me here at work. Today's no different. Knobs dressed up in costumes. Kooks with painted faces. Losers trick-or-treating in the cubicles. And of course, all these requests to play Alvi's Spooky Mix. Now that thing dropped several years back. And as is the case with all Alvin DeLauro Productions including his family, it has evolved, it has grown, and he continues to add to it. But you know how there are all these try-hard Halloween guys, and they try and set their house upright. They bury a speaker in their bushes. They blast their yard with sounds of ghosts and screaming and cats. You know all that noise. Well, we've got our own collection of sounds right here. The idea with speaker in the bushes guy is to make that yard and that house sound really, really scary. This guy spent hours setting up the fake gravestones in the yard. He spent hours hanging fake spider webs in his trees. This guy spilled a bunch of fake blood all over his grass. So he's got to have a soundtrack to back it all up. Let me tell you something. Should have used Alvy's instead. It's way scarier than the junk that he's playing off that same cassette that he's been using since the 80s. What's his mix got? Wind blowing? Floorboards creaking? Please. Please. Alvy's mix has actual murderers, 911 calls, psychopaths, and scariest of all, a rock legend's widow. The problem with Alvy's, if you break this thing out in your neighborhood, no kids will come to your house. No adults will come to your house. In fact, the cops might come to your house. It's that scary. So today I thought that I'd once again go old school with it. I thought that I would turn this thing into a contest. I've done this before. Especially since Alvy has updated it. There are dozens of celebrities in this mix. How many can you identify? 
dozens. Email me, tweet me, call me, post on Facebook. Whoever nails the highest number of celebrities in Alvy's mix gets our grand prize. A follow on Twitter from at Alvin Deloro. All right, Alvy, I know you've updated this bad boy. We've got a guest coming up in Rich Rodriguez, so I want you to play this thing right now. You wanted it, you got it. Alvy's famous updated spooky mix. I will Well, that went pretty fast, Alvy. Lots of things there. Background music was pretty loud. You might not have been able to make sense of some of those things. And keep in mind, this is pretty old school. We did add to it, but this goes back a few years, even several years. One more time, quickly, Alvy. How many celebrities and jungle legends can you pull out of this thing? I will I got Scotty Farrell. That's one. I got Donald Sterling. Pig. That's two. I'm just giving you the obvious ones. Hope Solo, I heard. Or the nephew. There you go. There's a few. Coach Rich Rodriguez, you're coming off that win over Washington State. Khalil Tate did what he does, this time rushing for 158 yards and a TD, passing for 275 and two scores. What do you make of what he did on Saturday night? You know, he's, he has certainly given us a lift. He's, you know, he's still a young guy, just turned 19. He's only started. He's healthy. He's, you know, he's made some explosive plays for us. He's kind of taken charge of the offense. And the nice part about it, Romy, he's going to keep getting better. So it's a lot of fun to watch. I mean, Rich, he's giving you a lift, but he's doing things that have never been done before. I mean, he was named the Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week, making him the first in the history of the award to win it four straight weeks. When you consider, Rich, all the great players who've been in that conference, what does that say about Tate? Well, it's a great honor. And, you know, I, I like our guys getting accolades. Because, you know, we know it's not going to change how we approach it or how he approaches it, but it's fun. It's fun for him and fun for the family, nice recognition for the program. And, and he's deserved it. He's earned it. He's, he's not always been perfect. He's made a few mistakes, but he's really competed well, and, and uh, we're having a lot of fun with it. Rich Rodriguez, my guest. Let me make another point about him. He's got eight runs of 40 yards or more this season, so it's easy to focus, Rich, on what he's doing on the ground, but then you wouldn't notice what he's doing through the air. How pleased have you been with what you've seen from him or how he's seeing the field for a guy who's only had a few starts? Yeah, he is. That's the thing. And we you can see it a little bit of in practice, but he has seen the field better in the games than we even thought that he didn't practice, which is kind of neat. And, you know, I think he's kind of wired that way a little bit. I don't really believe in, like, so-called game guys as opposed to practice guys. But that being said, he has he has got it. He's stayed very calm. And he's always been able to throw the ball. And, he you know, he can run well. He's not fast, fast like some of the guys I've had before, Pat White and Art Robinson. But he can run. He's got competitive speed. But he's got a great touch on the ball. He throws as good a deep ball as anybody I've ever had. So And he's shown that. He's got great touch on it. 
Now, you and I could spend the entire interview talking about him. He's that special, but you're not ranked in the top 25 in riding a four-game win streak just because of one player. As an example, you didn't have a running back over 100 rushing yards this season before Tate took over, and then since then, you had Nick Wilson rush for 135 against UCLA, Zach Green went for 130 against Cal, and J.J. Taylor had 152 against Washington State. How much has the entire offense changed under Tate? Well, it certainly opened up a few things. The more attention they're going to play, uh, pay to the quarterback is going to open up a few guys and we've always said uh jim we're going to play with 11 you know and and that means in all facets we're going to you know use the quarterback both in the throw and the run game and you know you want to limit carries a little bit and limit some hits but we are always going to play with 11 in our offense and that's given and we've all we felt we've had three backs so we were hoping that jj would break out and knew he was close in a couple games and he got a couple huge runs for us against uh, wazoo we're talking to arizona head coach rich rodriguez so last year when you faced washington state didn't go quite as well. In Dude. fact, it was kind of a rough It made game, me want to puke. I had to watch that film all week last week getting ready, and I was like, gosh, I can't wait till we play. I'm sick every day. All right, so they put 69 up on you. It made you want to puke. That said, how satisfying was it to get that turned around, put 58 on them, and get a little bit of revenge? Yeah, we played. We didn't play well defensively, but we competed and made some big plays when we had to. And then offensively, you know, we knew they they're so aggressive and active defensively that we knew they could make us look ugly at times. But we're going to keep plugging away and hope we hit a few big ones. And that's what happened. I was just proud of the way you know half the team wasn't even there last year because you know we got half the roster as freshmen. But you know, they, they the guys that were there were embarrassed, and we had to get try to get some type of redemption just playing better. And at least we played better and fortunate enough to get the win. So what's the Pirates say in that postgame handshake? Does he say, Rich, damn, that's going to make me want to puke when I watch that thing back? No, it wasn't, it wasn't 69 like they put on us. And Mike's done a great – they've got a really good football team. And he's going to – they're having a great year. And, you know, they're still competing for the for a championship too. So we've been friends for a long time. He's, he's done a wonderful job there. Yeah, he certainly has. They've had a great run there. Now, the win meant that you were bowl eligible. And the locker room afterwards, players were chanting, we're going to a bowl, we're going to a bowl. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Rich, a ton of football left in the season. Big challenge coming up this weekend. But how good does it feel to have – all that hard work pay off for the players like it has. Yes, for our senior class especially. It's not a big senior class, but those guys have been through a lot. They've done great have great leadership for us. And it's funny, they did talk about the bowl briefly and then right afterwards like, okay, we got a lot more at stake than that and the more you win the more is at stake. So, you know, the next night when we have our walkthrough on Sunday, you know, their focus was really good on the importance of this next game. But you want your seniors to be able to play in a bowl game. You know, that's that's the minimum every year and you know, you also want to compete for championships. That's the maximum. You want to be playing for a championship and it's still early in in November, but we're playing and competing for first place right now, and that's kind of neat. All right, so it's a young team, and in part because of that youth, the team was picked to finish last in the Pac-12 South before the season. Dead last, right? Dead last, and here you are ranked in the top 25. Again, I'm going to hedge and say you've got a big game coming up this weekend and lots of work to do, but you were picked to finish dead last. Is there any part of you that even with this much work to do, wants to say right now, yeah, well, how do you like us now? How do you like me right now? Not quite yet, but you're getting there. <laughs> it's, right. it's, you know, we've used it, you know, I mentioned it quite obviously in, in camp, and then when the game started, games, the conference game started, we mentioned it a little bit, uh, and I bring it up as a reminder, we don't say say it all day, but it was. It was dead last night even close, and you understand why. You know, you were, you know, you were terrible last year, you had 47 freshmen, I mean, who knows about any of these guys, and so you know, the whole season, I said we should be playing with a chip on the shoulder, and there's a lot of games left on it, but I, we need to keep that chip, and I think 
judging by the way our guys have, have approached this week uh, in itself, uh, they're, they're keeping the chip on their shoulder, right, so as do us coaches have to. Yeah, I was going to say a final thought then. But, Rich, you knew. You knew it's back. Maybe not exactly, but you knew something good was happening going all the way back to August that this young group might be special. Well, I like the influx of talent that we had. It was going to make things competitive. Uh, even the guys that were there last year that were coming back, there was a there was a sense of urgency to to prove themselves again, to to get better. And then we were healthier. I mean, that that that's that was part of it too. We were able to stay healthy through camp, healthy through the first couple games, and that's helped. So it's been a combination of things. Everybody wants to talk about as uh, you know a, a turnaround or whatever. I think more than anything else, we kind of tried to stay the course. But at the same time, like, okay, we got to make a few adjustments here and there to, to help us win better, and it's all kind of come together so far with still a lot of football left. Clones, thank you very much for listening, and thank you for checking out the Jim Rome Podcast. Episode 11 drops today with Dana White. You're going to want to hear that. You'll be happy you did. Happy Halloween. See you tomorrow. I'm out. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.